Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Let's read there together. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation." Jesus is the rock. He's not a rock. He's the rock. He's the rock upon which we stand. He's the rock of our salvation. He is solid and he is unchanging and he is unmoving. He is resolute. Jesus is our rock. First point, Jesus is the living stone. He's not just any old dead rock. He's the living stone. To children, any old rock will do. How many of you parents have been awarded a precious rock from a dear child? And you receive it in all its glory with much love and a smile and affection. And you take a look at it and it's just an ordinary old rock. Sometimes it's not even a good ordinary old rock. It's got some cement attached to it or something. It's, it's an inglorious rock. There are other rocks that are pretty interesting and are literally pretty. There are some rocks that women seem to be especially affectionate of that they place on their finger called diamonds. And the Lord Jesus is far more precious than all the diamonds of this world, far more precious than all the jewels of this world, far more precious even than that precious little stone that your little boy or girl brings to you is a treasure they have found. Sadly, at times, we may put more affection into that pretty rock we call a diamond on a ring or more affection into that little stone a child gives us than we emotionally give to the Lord Jesus Christ who is the living rock, the rock of our salvation, He who is life. As John 1 1 declares, in the beginning was the Word. This rock is eternal. In the beginning. He was there in the beginning before there was anything, before there was space, time, and matter. He is the eternal rock, the eternal God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. This rock is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. All the rocks in the cosmos were made through Him. The glorious and inglorious rocks were all made through Him. He is the rock, the Creator, the Eternal One, the Savior. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. All the rocks, all the material stuff of this universe was made by Jesus, our rock, the rock of our salvation. But he's the living rock. He's the living rock. He's the living stone. He's not some mute idol crafted with the hands 
of men. He's not like those giant heads crafted on that island out in the middle of nowhere. He's not like the statue crafted over here in the Asian restaurant and stuck up on the wall in a box with a hole in the glass so the mute idol can breathe, even though it doesn't speak, doesn't breathe, doesn't do anything, but there's a hole in the glass so the idol can breathe. He's not like any of that. He is an actual living God. He is the actual living God. In fact, He is life. All life comes from Him. Not only did He create the material universe, not only did He create all the rocks in the cosmos, He created life. He is the life giver. He is, as the second person of the Trinity, the foremost person of the Trinity, giving credit for the creation of the heavens and the earth and all life that's in it. So Jesus is the preeminent rock. He is the living stone. Verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone. As to a living stone. Come to Jesus as the unchanging, eternal God creator who created all the stones, all the material universe, and all life in it. He is the living stone. He's the author of life originally and salvifically. He is life. Coming to Him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Rejected by men. Why do they reject he who is life? Because in the deadness of their soul, they love death. They love death. They they love sin and they love death and they're so short-sighted, they choose the, the glory, the wonders of sin for a season, even though it so clearly is bringing death, and they give up eternal life to he who is life. They... They build their life with their myopic view, their, their short-sightedness. They build their life on this little rock called planet Earth as if that's all they've got. All they've got is the, the 20 years, the 40 years, the 60 years, or maybe the 80 years at the outside edge. The 80 years. Some of you might be north of that. Uh-oh. 80 years. That's all I've got, so I've got to get all I can get now. They consider their life on this rock precious, and yet they're going to lose their life because they've denied he who is life, he who is the living rock, who created this rock for us to live on for a very brief period of time to bring him glory and honor and praise. This is not your life. This is not the totality of your life. This is not your best life. Your best life is coming. Your best life is later, not now. This whole experience is experience of, of a world ruled by death. A world filled with sin and the curse of sin, which is death. A world, for a time, given over to the evil one and his minions, his servants, Jesus was very clear that they're either children of God or children of the devil. And he was very clear that broad is the road and many go thereby and narrow is the road of life and few go by. And so there are a great many more on that road of destruction as children of the devil than over on the narrow path of life as children of God born again from above through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, how precious is this living stone. And and yet the world rejects him. The world denies him, rejected indeed by men. And not just any men. There are some particular men that rejected him. Think about when this was written. His own people. The Jews rejected him. The Jews rejected him. And the Romans as well rejected him. The people who saw him, the people who saw his and experienced his perfect love, the people who saw and experienced his perfect power in miracle after miracle after miracle, undeniable miracles, not, not Benny Hinn stuff, not, not tricks and fabrications, not uh, little earbuds in the, to tell you that the little old lady in the third row uh, has a, a bad heart. 
Now, this is not fabrication. This is the real power of God. This is Lazarus raised from the dead. This is Tabitha raised from the dead. This is lame men made to walk. This is blind made to see, deaf made to hear. The Lord Jesus eradicated lameness and sickness and every form of disease everywhere he went. And they could not deny it. In particular, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, they didn't try to deny it. I mean, he was four days dead. Everyone knew it. It was an undeniable, magnificent miracle. And so they said, what are we going to do? He was dead. Everybody knows it. We're going to lose our position and our power with Rome. They so hated, they so rejected the living stone that they rejected the evidence that he was life. He brought a man four days dead back. And when he came out of the tomb, he didn't stinketh. As the King James says, behold, he'll stinketh. No, he didn't. He was alive. There was no rot. (laughs) And so, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Chosen by God. The Lord Jesus, the living stone, is chosen by God. Not a child. Oh, look at the stone I found. Which is precious because we love the child. So the stone also receives some level of preciousness. How many of you have some of those stones still around? I have some of those stones that I've had for years. My grandmother had a stone that Charlie gave her when he was, I don't know, two, three. My grandmother, who is now long deceased. But she kept that stone up on her glass tray with uh, several hundred dollar, you know, canisters of fancy, fancy perfume, you know, uh, all this fancy, beautiful, foo-foo stuff. Um, and here was this, this generic, average, lackluster, gray stone that Charlie had given her. And it, it blessed my heart to see that she had a, that heart for her grandson. But this is God's son. This is God's stone. Not a, not a child bringing you something that's worthless as if it's worth everything, and you, because you value the child, giving worth to that stone. No, this is God who knows the value of this stone, and the value is infinite. It is infinite. And God has given us this stone. He's given mankind this stone. He's given us His Son, who is life, who is Possessed life for all of eternity. And he who is eternal came into space, time, and matter, came into this temporal world in the likeness of men and yet without sin as the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. And that's how we should communicate this Jesus, this living stone. This is the living stone. This is Jesus We should be incensed when the living stone is mocked, when he is denied, when he's rejected and despised and spit upon and cursed, when his name is used with other filth words. We should be incensed. That's my Lord and yours too. Your Lord and your judge, unless you repent. Your Lord and Savior if you do. But mind you, that's your Lord's name. Oh, don't take that name in vain. Use my name. Use your dad's name if you must use a name. It'd be far better to take the name of your father. Now, that would still be a great sin. Honor thy father and mother, right? Oh, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul. Don't use his name as a filth word. He who is precious is a filth word in your mouth. Or worse, a nonsense word. Isn't that appalling that our world, our neighbors, use the name of God and God's Son as a nonsense word even? Not even they're not even expressing the, the anger and passion that's within them. Sometimes they just throw out God's name and the name of His Son as a nonsense word. It's almost a, an equivalent to uh in their vocabulary. It's a pause in their brain. That's astonishing. Astonishingly evil. And it shows our 
vast rejection of the living stone. But hear me. The world, in its great sin, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, choose gravel from the gravel pit (laughs) over the precious stone of Jesus, the living stone who is Jesus, chosen by God. They'd rather feast on gravel. They'd rather store up and hoard up gravel. They'd rather grovel before gravel than bow the knee to the living stone who is Jesus. That just shows the deadness of their soul and the blindness of their eyes and the deafness of their ears. And we should pity them and love them and call them to repentance out of compassion. For this, this living stone is precious and powerful. Verse 5, you also as living stones. This living stone gives us life. While most are on the broad way to destruction, while most have rejected the living stone, this living stone, by the grace of God alone, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God. This living stone has given us life. This living stone is the most valuable thing in your life. Jesus is the most valuable thing in your life, and He's not a thing, He's the person. He is the living stone. He's more valuable than all your other stones. He's more valuable than all your other possessions. He's more valuable than all your other relationships. He's the living stone. He is precious to the Almighty, and He has given you life. Oh, how precious should He be to you? We often, even after He's given us life, we often get distracted by the other stones that seem to glitter. They glitter on the ground and they they glitter in the account and they glitter in the workplace and they glitter in the schoolyard and they, they glitter driving down the road and there are other stones out there vying for our attention. Oh, that we would keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the living stone. He who has given us life and promised us life abundant. He who has shut hell to us and opened heaven to us. He who has promised us that we will become children, or we are even now children of God. And that the Father will receive us and wipe away every tear. And there will be a new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells, where we will dwell with Him as His children forever, because there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How amazing. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. We'll come back to that section. But this section opens with the living stone and closes with the cornerstone. So I want to focus on Jesus first, then I'll get to the rest of yous. That's uh, southern vernacular. Verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him, will by no means be put to shame. I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. You see, the Lord Jesus, he's a living stone. He's the cornerstone. He's not a cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of cornerstones. Do we all know what a cornerstone is? Probably not. (laughs) Some do. Yes, it's the stone that sets everything else. When this stone is set perfectly, and this one is, every other stone set according to that stone is set perfectly, and the foundation is laid. And the Lord Jesus is the cornerstone, and the apostles are the foundation that 
branch out from the cornerstone, according to the cornerstone. Delivering the rest of his message. Delivering the rest of his doctrine. Their message was his message, not their message. They were apostles of Jesus Christ. Sent ones of Jesus Christ. Messengers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we find in the New Testament. That apostolic message from the apostles, from the cornerstone. And we are to be built upon that foundation. And if we're not built on the cornerstone and the foundation of the apostolic doctrine committed to us in the New Testament, then we're building something else over there. And it's not the church. And it's not a Christian life. We might call it a Christian life. We might call it a, a Christian manhood or Christian womanhood or Christian motherhood, Christian fatherhood, Christian business, Christianity even. This is Christianity. But if it's not according to the cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles that flows from that cornerstone, then it's not Christianity and it's not Christian living. It's not Christian anything. He is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. By no means be put to shame. Outside of Christ, that's all there is. Do you know that? Do your neighbors know that? Do your family members know that? Outside of Christ, that's all there is, is shame, because sin is shameful. In Christ Jesus, there's no shame. In Christ Jesus, our shame is taken away. Psychology wants to remove shame from everybody and, and therefore uh, tolerate you know, is the bumper sticker, be nice is the bumper sticker, um, uh, live out is the bumper sticker, uh, love is love is the bumper sticker and message of our culture. We want to remove the shame. Do whatever you want. Don't condemn anything. There is no right or wrong, good or evil. There's only preference. There's only preference. And so someone has another preference than you. Ah, you know, who are you to judge? Well, I'm no one to judge, but there is a judge, and he's a just judge. Psalm 711. God is a just judge. God defines good and evil. God defines right and wrong. Thus, we receive God's message of good and evil, right and wrong, of, and his warning of judgment, and we lovingly warn others that sin is not safe. <laughs> sin brings death. You don't want to live outside of the design of the cornerstone and the foundation. In that design, as you come to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, there is life. In that design, there is the removal of all shame. Because he takes our sin upon himself and pays that debt in full, pronounces to tell us die over it, and removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. The shame is gone. The great burden of our shame, the great burden of our sin, it's gone. It's gone. But outside of Christ, there is eternal shame. There is present shame. Sin is shameful. Psychology wants to remove shame without repentance, without faith in Christ, without a Savior without the living stone. The only way our shame will genuinely, truly be removed is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the living stone, the chief cornerstone. You'll notice that last portion of verse 6 is in quotes. It's because it's from I. Isaiah 28, verse 16, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. They will live according to that cornerstone. They will build their life on that sure foundation. In Romans chapter 9, verse 30, we find the Apostle Paul speaks of a stumbling stone, a stumbling stone. What shall we say then? 
that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. A stumbling stone. A rock of offense. Whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. Some will stumble at him. They will deny him. They will reject him. They will be offended by him. We experienced that yesterday. There were those that love him and those that have stumbled at him. They're offended by him. And thus they're offended by us because we preach Christ. We preach Christ. That sounds biblical. That's a quote. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll get to that later. Well, let us go back to Verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built up as a spiritual stone, a living house on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, and the foundation of the apostles. It calls us there a, a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood. We find this concept in Revelation repeatedly. Revelation 1, 5, and 20 all contain this concept. Revelation 1, verse 5 says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what's your future? Your future is royal. Royal priesthood. What does that look like in particular? I'm not certain. Because there are details left out. But I know this, it's royalty. Well, how is that? Because this stone is precious. And you now are called brother and sister by this precious stone. This stone is the king of kings. And he now calls us his brothers and sisters. And he's given us his perfect righteousness. And so Revelation says in the new heavens and new earth, um, in some regard... That is beyond my full comprehension. We are declared to be kings and priests. Revelation 5 verse 8 says, Now when they had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe people, and nation. And that's usually where we stop in our theological thinking. He's redeemed us because that's really good news. He's purchased us. He's paid our debt. We're not going to hell. We're going to heaven. That's really good news. So we often stop there theologically. We stop really at the edge of eternity. But I want us to go beyond that in our minds because this is not our world. This is not our life. This is just the brief brief moment before eternity. And so a bit of eternity is revealed here. And what's revealed is this. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Again, What does that look like? How does that play out in all its detail? I don't know, but I know it's true. He's made us kings and priests to our God. I expect it's not in some literal sense that you'll be sitting up on a throne, everyone doing your bidding. I expect that's not it. I expect that we'll not be making sacrifices in the new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells as priests did in the Old Testament. I expect not. I expect we'll be worshiping the Lord as the children of God now in the royal family of God. Jesus Christ calling us brother and sister. We now clothed in the perfect righteousness like royal robes, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Those are some pretty fancy duds. giving all praise and glory and honor to the Lord. 
worshiping him. In Revelation 20, verse 6, this is repeated once again. It says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Priests of God and Christ and reign with him. And so this is what Peter is speaking to. Peter receives from the Spirit of God some of this same truth that John the Revelator received and imparted to us in Revelation. Peter saying that we are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And I would say with Peter, it's not just future and eternity, it's even now. We're a holy priesthood. While the priesthood of the Old Testament has been put off, and in the time of Peter's writing, it was put off recently. It was put off just a few decades back. It was put off at the crucifixion of Christ and the destruction of the temple in Israel. And so that's a very recent thing for them. Now it's been a few thousand years. But you must understand that Every day in the temple and before that to the tabernacle, the priest would come and make blood sacrifice and every goat, every bull, every lamb slain was a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. And the priest also was a type and picture of Jesus Christ. And Jesus then came, Hebrews tells us explicitly, 8, 9, and 10, Jesus then came as the final high priest with the final sacrifice of himself. And thus having obtained eternal redemption... He ascended to sit at the right hand of God. And we worship Him there. A holy priesthood. A living sacrifice, it says. A living sacrifice. There is no more blood sacrifice. There's no more tabernacle or temple. But we are to be a living sacrifice under the Lord. That's part of our worship. That's part of our ongoing priesthood, if you will. We are living out lives of sacrifice unto the Lord. And Romans 12.1 elucidates this further. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We are to be living out our faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But having been saved, how then should we live? We should live as living sacrifices. Our life is not our own. We have been purchased with the blood of the Lamb. We are His. In fact, the Bible calls us doulos, which is often translated servant, but literally means Slave. We are purchased by Christ. We are his doulos. And it's our reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. Why? I did something really exceptional today. I went to church. I did something really exceptional today. I told somebody about Jesus. No, it's our reasonable service. It's only reasonable. Consider what he has done for us. (laughs) Consider how he has loved us while we were yet sinners. And he died for us. Consider the eternal wealth that he has lavished upon us. Oh, kings and queens. Consider the wealth of his righteousness. See, the wealth in heaven is God himself. He is the the great wealth of heaven. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The The wealth is not in stones. The very streets of heaven are gold. The streets, what you walk on, that's gold. A living sacrifice. That's our life, lived out as priests of God. Second major point. First point, again, Jesus is the living stone, verses 4 through 6. Second Major point, Jesus is the rejected stone, stumbling stone, and rock of offense. He is the rejected stone, the stumbling stone, and the rock of offense. Now, there's some overlap in these points as there's overlap in 
the truths that are within these verses, but we will focus in on Jesus as the rejected stone, stumbling stone, and rock of offense from verses 7 and 8. Read with me there. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Oh. So the world rejected him. But God says he's precious. And to those who believe, we recognize that he's precious. We do. And when we're thinking clearly, when we're filled with the Spirit, when our eyes are fixed upon Jesus, we recognize that he's more precious than anything and everything else. And that we would give up, if we had to, anything and everything else to hold fast to Jesus. That's when we're thinking clearly. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the unbeliever, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Oh, they may have rejected him. They may have despised him. They may have spit upon him. They may have brutalized him. They may have beaten him beyond the visage of a man and then crucified him, saying, we have no Lord but Caesar. Nevertheless, he is the chief cornerstone. And that's what I I tell people out on the streets. They, They say, there is no God. I don't believe in God. Oh, yes, There is. And the moment you breathe your last breath, your heart beats its last beat, you'll stand before him and give an account. And you do believe in God. Every sin you commit, you you commit in direct rebellion against him. You deny him and defy him and curse him with great zeal. And you can't even abide the preaching of his word. You can't even walk on by and go about your, your personal life of sinful autonomy because you so hate God. You just can't leave it alone. You come all the way across the park. You come all the way across the city square. To oppose the God you know but hate because you love your sin. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the cosmos, of our faith, of everything. And I assure those people that you already have and will have a relationship with Jesus Christ forever. Right now, he's your Lord, he's your King, he's your Master, he's your Creator, and he's your Judge. I pray one day he'll be your Lord, your King, your Master, your Creator, and your friend as your Savior. But you must repent. You must repent. You must stop your foolish rebellion against him. But you now have and will always have a relationship with Jesus. You are his subject. You are his creature. He is your King and Creator. And you will never escape him. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's no escaping an all-powerful king. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. He knows what you do in the light of day and the cover of darkness, and he doesn't forget a bit of it. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. Lo, I'll be with you always. There's no escaping King Jesus. Oh, won't you bend your knee to him? Your resistance is futile. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. What madness is this? You reject him, and he's still the chief cornerstone. It's not madness at all. God is sovereign. You take all of man's rebellion against God, all of our blasphemy, all of our angst, all of our hate, all of our attempts to wipe out The testimony of the one true God that is declared day and night by the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. And that amounts to nothing but a drop of nothing in the ocean of truth, in the ocean of revelation that all of God's creation is and that His Word is, His Word that will not pass away. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. A stone of stumbling. You see, Jesus is either the living stone that gives you life as you come to him in faith 
or he's a stumbling stone. You stumble over him. You're offended at him. You fall before it and it falls upon you and crushes you. You either receive Jesus as the rock and he becomes your living rock, the foundation upon which you live and breathe now and forever, or that rock will fall upon you and crush you. And all the stones of this earth that you chose over him, they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. You see, they had the revelation. The Jews had the revelation of God. They had Isaiah 53. How could they miss Jesus? They missed Him because they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. They missed Him because they they loved the stones of the temple more than the Lord of the temple. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. There are two quotes in verses 7 and 8. The first is from Psalm 118, 22 through 24. The second is Isaiah 8, 14. We find in Luke chapter 2 that Simeon, The old prophet Simeon was waiting for the birth of the Lord and he prophesied at his birth as Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, brought Jesus to him. And then in verse 33, Luke 2 verse 33, Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against. For the fall and rising, they'll either stumble upon the stone or they'll stand upon the stone and rise up to life. That is his destiny. That is the plan of God revealed prophetically. The Lord Jesus regarding the rejected cornerstone. He he says this in Luke chapter 20. He speaks a parable that ends with a quote of these prophecies. Luke 20 verse 9, Then he, Jesus, began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to a vine dresser, and went out to far country for a long time. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers. They may give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him. The inheritance may be ours, ours also. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priest and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people. For they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So he exposed their hearts. He exposed their agenda. He exposed their rejection of their Messiah himself, the chief cornerstone. And he warned them that having rejected him, the cornerstone, that they would be broken, that they would be ground to powder, and they hated him for it, and they would have killed him, but they feared the crowds. 
And so they held off and plotted against him. In Acts chapter 4, we find Peter speaking on the rejected cornerstone. In Acts chapter 4, verse 5, it came to pass the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, by what name have you done this? Now, what was it they had done? They had made the lame man to walk. They had done a miracle in the name of Jesus and made the lame man, lame from birth, stand up and walk at Solomon's porch before the eyes of all. In verse 8, Peter answers the question. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's go back to the question, verse 7. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man stands here before you whole. By him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Praise God. And so, The Lord Jesus preached this prophecy and applied it to the Jews. Peter preached this prophecy and applied it to the Jews that were judging him. The same ruling class that judged the Lord Jesus and sent him to his death at the cross were the same men Peter stood before and condemned with the correct application of that prophecy, warning them that the stone which they have rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and that they reject him to their own demise. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, The Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And so Christ is a stumbling block. We know He's a stumbling block. We know He is the stumbling stone to Jew and Gentile alike, unless what? They are called. We preach Christ crucified regardless of the response of the world, knowing that unless the Lord opens blind eyes and unstops deaf ears with His amazing grace, that's what we sing, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Unless the grace of God regenerates their dead hearts and opens their blind eyes and unstops their deaf ears, Christ will only and always be foolishness. They will stumble over Him. They will reject Him. They will choose philosophy or dead religious works over the finished work of Christ upon the cross. Over the precious stone, the living stone, who is Jesus Christ. They will despise Him. They will reject Him. And they will stumble over Him. So what do we do? Change the message? Change the method? Stop preaching Christ crucified? What do we do? We preach Christ crucified. In season and out of season. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says, We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. I don't decide what aroma I am, death or life. But I do decide what aroma I am, whether or not I'm going to be the aroma of Christ or the aroma of Chuck. The aroma of Chuck needs a shower daily. A little deodorant, some cologne, right? The aroma of Chuck is not what the world needs. They need the aroma of Christ. The aroma of life. 
But hear me, despite the fact that he's the precious stone, despite the fact that he's the living stone, despite the fact that when you come to him, you are made living stones. They reject him. They despise him. They stumble at him. They hate him. They hate him until they love him by the grace of God. And are made new creatures. It's an astounding thing to watch sweet little old ladies turn into vicious haters. But I have the sad, sad experience of that regularly because if you go out and lift up the name of Jesus publicly, you see little sweet grandmothers turn into vicious haters. You see men who... who, You want to revere, you want to give them respect. They're old men, white hair. They look respectable. They look venerable. There's an old word. You should venerate them, honor them. You see them twist up their face and then this vileness comes out of them. This hatred of God and hatred of you for ever daring to publicly declare the name of Jesus. Oh, praise God. Some of those who hate Him today will worship Him tomorrow. Some of those who reject him today by the grace of God will yet be born again as faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And that's my confidence. My confidence is as we go forth as the aroma of Christ, the aroma of death to some, the aroma of life to others. They'll catch that scent and they'll say, what is that? It's Jesus. And they'll come running by the grace of God. But we can't determine their response. No. We, we just are to be the aroma of Christ. We're just to be the messengers of Christ. We're to be the messengers of the, the word, the sower of the seed, and the word is the seed of God. The Lord is sovereign over the soil of the heart. So first point, Jesus is the living stone. Second point, Jesus is the rejected stone, the stumbling stone, the rock of offense. And third point, Jesus is the rock upon which we stand as a holy nation, the kingdom of God. Jesus is the rock upon which we stand as a holy nation, the kingdom of God. Verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had obtained mercy, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. So there's a lot there. And I've summed it up under this title. Jesus is the rock upon which we stand as a holy nation. How then should we live? If we have received the living stone and become living stones and now our lives are built on the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of Christ and the foundation of the apostles and we're seeking to live a Christian life, how then should we live? What is our identity? You are a chosen generation. That's part of our, our identity. We are chosen, elect, predestined. Your chosen generation. So the fact that you have received the living stone and not rejected him, the fact that you haven't stumbled over him, the fact that you haven't hated him with the rest of the world, there's no honor due to your name. It's the grace of God. All honor and glory and praise be to his name. You're a chosen generation. And all whom he calls comes. The reason he's the Rome of life to you and not the Rome of death is because he called you to himself. The reason he's not foolishness to you but the wisdom of God is because he called you to himself. The reason that pre- the preaching of Christ crucified isn't the highest form of foolishness to you which you could care less about is because the Lord has regenerated your dead soul. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now think when this was written, in this environment of Jews and Gentiles, a chosen generation. The Jews were all about being the chosen people of God. 
And Peter's applying these terms to the church, to Christians. You're the chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. They're all about the priesthood. How can we give up the priesthood? You know in their hearts, right? This was where they went to worship God. They went to the temple. They made sacrifice. This was part of their life and their faith. This is part of the fabric of their being. To give that up would would be a lot. But they must. Because there's a higher priesthood. That of Christ. And the ongoing priesthood of, of the Christian life. Living as living sacrifices unto Him. And giving all praise, honor, and glory to Him. So we're a chosen generation. We are the chosen people of God. We're a royal priesthood over and above the priesthood of the Old Testament. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We have an identity as a nation. We're the kingdom of God. We're not a nation in a place, a little place in the Middle East called Jerusalem. We're the eternal nation of God. The kingdom of God. And we should identify with that. Christ is our King. Your allegiance belongs to your King. Bow before your King. Worship your King. Obey your King. And call all of humanity to bend their knee to the King of Kings. But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. Anyone ever want to be special? I just want to be special. Well, praise God by His grace. You are a special people. Now, some of you think some of you are special. But this is special in the positive sense only. You are chosen by God. You're washed in the blood of the Lamb. You're a child of God now and forever, literally, truly, eternally special. That is special. That is set apart. That is magnificent. And so may we value one another in that light. Oh, we have our special idiosyncrasies, right? That we could, you know, uh, that we would do well to have sanctified out of us. <laughs> Yet this side of heaven, we're going we're gonna to carry some of that baggage. Nevertheless, praise God, we are a special people. His, His own special people. We are God's special people received to Himself. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're to proclaim His praises. Why? Because He is worthy. He is worthy. He's worthy of your proclamation of His praises. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of the proclamation of His gospel. He's worthy of the world hating you because you align with Him. You align with the King they hate, the King they're in rebellion against. He is worthy of all that. When you consider the cost of righteousness, consider the cost of the gospel, consider the the cost of the trouble of getting up and getting to church and all the little parts of Christian life in a practical sense, He is worthy. He is worthy of our life, of our breath, of our blood. He is worthy. He is the precious stone. He is the living stone. He is worthy. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Have you forgotten how dark it was? Some of you were were saved at a younger age. Some of you were blessed to be raised in a Christian home. And it wasn't as dark as it was for others. And so maybe you haven't seen clearly yet the darkness of your own soul pre-Christ. Look into the mirror of God's Word and let it inform you of who you are outside of Christ. The Lord may have saved you from so much sin that others wallowed in for a time. But know that that sin nature was in you and you would have wallowed, wallowed deep according to that piggish, vile, God-hating nature, you would have wallowed deep in the mire of filth except by the grace of God. God didn't just save you from the sins you actively engaged in. God saved you from engaging in many sins. All praise be to His name. We all have it within us to be an Adolf Hitler or a Joseph Stalin or a Mao We all have it within us to be a Jeffrey Dahmer. It is the grace of God that your sin nature 
did not reign over you far, far worse. So give him praise. He's brought you from darkness to marvelous light out of darkness. Death. Certain hell to marvelous light. Certain heaven where there is no sun for Jesus Christ is the light. He's the light. The living stone is the light of the world. Verse 10, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Not a people. We were wandering this earth, headed to destruction. And now we're the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We were outside of mercy. We were under the condemnation. And now we abide under the mercy of God, washed with the blood of the Lamb. Verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, we're just passing through. This is not where we live. This is not our best life now. We're sojourners and pilgrims. We're just passing through. Eternity is our home. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. You see, you, you should live a righteous life for the love of Christ purely. Because he so loved you, or you are yet a sinner, to lay down his life that you might live. But consider your neighbor's. Consider your life and the righteousness thereof, the testimony of your life, in light of your neighbor's precious souls. They need you to live a life that is consistent with your testimony. They need you to live a life that is a platform of righteousness upon which to stand to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they need you to have a life that doesn't undo the message that's coming from your lips. Don't give them reason to blaspheme our Lord and His gospel. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, because they will, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, part of the blessing of having opposition when you're ministering the gospel publicly is when they throw hate in all sorts of ways, we're able to give back love. Now, sometimes that love is in the form of correction or rebuke because they need it, right? And there are certain vile things done or said that need a correction or rebuke. But it is a wonderful opportunity to return grace for hate, mercy for hate, and to keep smiling, keep loving them, keep bringing truth to them, speaking with compassion. And many times, many times, those who start as haters will calm down and receive much grace, and by the end of the conversation, they'll be thanking us. Thanking us. So their initial nature compelled them to rage. But as they poured rage and only got grace and love, often that, at least for a time, will wear them down, and they can become more reasonable and reason over the Scriptures. having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation, that they may be led to repentance and to glorify God in the day of visitation, the day the Lord returns. That should be our goal. And so Jesus Christ is the rock. He's the living stone. He's the rejected stone, the stumbling stone, the rock of offense. He's the rock upon which we stand as a holy nation, as the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God in the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, inspired, inerrant, and preserved for our edification. We thank you for your spirit 
that originally inspired it, and we thank you for your spirit that illumines it to our hearts and minds now that we might, might walk in the light thereof to your glory. We thank you for Jesus, the living stone, who has given us life and made us living stones, built upon him as the chief cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles. We pray for strength and grace to walk in the light of your word to your glory, to walk in righteousness, that our lives would not blaspheme what our lips are proclaiming to the world, that Jesus Christ is the living stone that will save you or the stone that will crush you. Oh, come to the stone and live. Come to the rock of Jesus Christ and live. We pray it in his mighty and matchless name. Amen.